The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. What I propose to do tonight is not go carefully verse by verse through chapter 7 of Exodus. God willing, I'll do some of that next week. But rather to give an overview of the cycle of ten plagues that uh, God visited on the people of Egypt. To look in a, in a big picture view, kind of to fly over the plagues. And to try to see some wisdom and some organization and truth in what those plagues were. I think that God was very wise and very careful in how he poured out the plagues on Egypt. There's a wisdom to it, and I think there's some spiritual lessons for us to learn. Up to this point in Exodus, we have noted in Exodus 1 through 6 and been following the formation of and the career of a redeemer, Moses. For the most part, the first six chapters focus on the call and the preparation of Moses as a redeemer the one who would lead the people out of Egypt. But now we're going to look at the redemption itself. We're going to see the mighty hand of God as he works this redemption through Moses and Aaron, as he uh, elevates them to an incredible status, but even more as he elevates his own name and his own glory. And his reputation and his fame for what he did in Egypt still stands today. We're not the only people that stand in awe of this account. So God gained for himself a name and a reputation that endures to this very day by what he did in Egypt. And so we should worship God and we should praise him for his mighty hands and his work in Egypt. For over 80 years and probably more, the people of Egypt were oppressing the Israelites in bitter slavery and bondage. The time had come for God to visit upon the people of Egypt and specifically upon Pharaoh the vengeance that they had stored up and the wrath they had stored up for that servitude. The time had come also in which God would intervene on behalf of his people, the descendants of Abraham, and fulfill the promise he made to Abraham to bring them out of Egypt into uh, the promised land. He would fulfill his covenant to Abraham, and he would also get vengeance on Egypt, on the enemies of his people. And he would do it by means of these plagues, the ten plagues. The ten plagues are as follows. First, the waters of the Nile were turned into blood. In chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, that account is given. The second plague was that frogs covered the land and went into the, into the dwelling places of the Egyptians, hopped up on their counters where they made their dinners, just were involved in their lives. If you can even imagine a house filled with frogs, who would ever have thought of that? It's almost a little scary, isn't it, that God controls nature to that extent. Do you realize the goodness of God you experience every day in keeping these kinds of things away from you? But the plague of frogs covered the land and entered the homes of the Egyptians. Imagine moving your pillow and finding a hundred frogs under the pillow. Just incredible and repulsive. Thirdly, lice or gnats, some small, tiny, biting insects, were made to attack the bodies of the Egyptians, Exodus 8, 16 through 19. Fourth, swarms of flies, we think they're flies, but some kind of flying insects, probably flies, 
invaded the homes and covered the land, the entire land of the Egyptians went all over the area. A terrible disease fifth struck the livestock of the Egyptians, a plague on the livestock, and they died. Boils and sores attacked man and beast, sixthly. And so the plague of physical pain, a skin disease which attacked man and beast in Exodus 9, 8 through 12. Then seventh, thunder and hail beat down on Egypt, a, a hailstorm unlike any they had ever seen up to that point and has never been seen since in Egypt, a hailstorm. Number eight, locusts flew across the land and consumed all vegetation. Anything green that was there was consumed by the locusts, chapter 10, verse 1 through 20. Then ninth, thick darkness, so thick it could be felt, covered the land for three days. Chapter 10, verse 21 through 29. And tenth and most terrible of all was the plague on the firstborn, in which the firstborn of humans and also of cattle were struck down in a dreadful plague such that there was no one, no house in Egypt without someone dead. And with that plague, that final plague, the Egyptians expelled the Israelites from their land. Pharaoh kicked them out, drove them out, really. And God accomplished his end, namely the deliverance of the exodus of his people. Ten plagues. Now there's a summary given for us in Psalm 78. Take a minute and look there. Psalm 78, verse 49 through 52. In Psalm 78, the psalmist says there, speaking of God, he unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. That's a striking phrase, isn't it? Not mentioned in the Exodus account, but given us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of the psalmist. That God sent out a band of destroying angels over Egypt. He prepared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave them over to the plague. He struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the first fruits of the manhood of the, in the tents of Ham. But he brought his own people out like a flock. He led them like a sheep, like sheep through the desert. And so we see the wrath of God and a band of destroying angels sent out to destroy the first fruits of the womb of the Egyptians, a terrifying plague. And with that, the cycle of plagues was completed. Now what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at six things. First, we're going to look at the purpose of the plagues. What were the purpose? What were the many purposes of the plagues? Secondly, we're going to look at the arrangement of the plagues. We're going to see in the arrangement of the plagues some insight spiritually into what God was doing. Thirdly, we're going to talk about the progression of the plagues, how they move from the first through to the tenth. Fourthly, we're going to zero in specifically and briefly on the purpose of the plagues toward Israel in particular. What was God doing in Israel by means of these plagues? Fifth, we're going to talk about the demonic imitation of the plagues and that lim the limitation of that imitation how the demonic forces of evil were seeking to thwart what God was doing and how God routed them in the end and showed his superior power and sixth we're going to talk about the prophetic forecast that these plagues give us the plagues really are a foretaste of what will happen at the end of the world there's somewhat of a recapitulation of these plagues in the book of Revelation Let's look first at the purpose of the plagues. First of all, the plagues were given as a public manifestation of the power of God. By looking at these plagues, these ten plagues, we have a sense of what kind of power God has. And it's an incredible power. 
I was only half humorously talking about God's power over frogs. God controls the entire universe. The fact of the matter is what God said later to, to Pharaoh, he could say to every one of, of us, by now I could have stretched out my hand and wiped you from the face of the earth. He could have done that in any one of a million different ways. And yet God is so good. The fact that we just move so serenely through our lives without this kind of attack and plague shows the incredible power of God. The fact that it happened once shows that God could do it any time he wanted to. The incredible power of God. And we see it even more poignantly in Exodus 9, verse 16. Turn and look there if you would. And this is a verse quoted by the Apostle Paul. Very important verse theologically. But in Exodus 9:16, in the middle of the plagues, God says, I have raised you up, speaking to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so there, a clear demonstration of the power of God, but not just for anything, not just so that he could show his power, but rather that his name might be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, that people might trust in that mighty name of God for salvation. That's a very important thing, isn't it? It is by trusting in the name of God that we are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so these plagues were a display of the power of God. He made his name great. He gained for himself a reputation so that people might call on that name for salvation. We also see a sense of the public manifestation of the power of God. And we're going to talk more about this. But in Exodus 8, verse 18 and 19, when the magicians, Pharaoh's sorcerers of sort, tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. And verse 19, Exodus 8:19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So clearly the plague had the effect on the magicians of producing this kind of a statement. Only God could do this. Now I think it's an interesting statement they make there. It reminds me of Psalm 8. When I consider the heavens, the work of your what? Fingers. It's a very interesting thing the psalmist says there. The heavens are a work of God's fingers. When you think of fingers, you think of precise and careful work. Not the work of kind of mass power, but the work of precision and care. Really not the work of your greatest power and strength, but actually kind of a restraining of your power and strength so that a precise work can be done. That's what the heavens are to the psalmist, to David. The heavens are a display of the finger work of God. So also these plagues. He held himself back. You know that, don't you? He held himself back. He could have done more. And he says so. This is the finger of God. And so it's a display, not just of the power of God, but of his ability to control that power in a precise kind of way. A display of the power of God. Secondly, we see also that the plagues were an evidence of the divine wrath and vengeance and judgment of God. They were that. We don't want to say that they weren't, but Israel had been mistreated badly. They'd been savagely taken advantage of by Pharaoh and by his power and by Egypt. And so God effects vengeance on, his, on, on the oppressors of his people. In Deuteronomy 32, take a minute and look there, the fifth book of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 32 verse 39 and following. This is the Song of Moses and, and a really striking statement that Moses makes. 
The Song of Moses, one of the most extraordinary pieces of, of uh, poetry in the Old Testament. For in that song, the Song of Moses, Moses predicts all of Israel's history before any of it happens. It's one of the most quoted pieces of Old Testament writing. And in that song, toward the end, Psalm, uh, I mean Deuteronomy 32, verse 39 through 43, God, speaking through the Song of Moses, says, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death, and I bring to life. I have wounded, and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and declare, as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing, flashing sword, and my hand grasps it in judgment, <clears throat> I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Verse 43. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. Now, stop there for a minute. That's very good advice, isn't it? That's excellent advice. Paul quotes this in Romans 15. Can I give you some advice, Gentile nations? Rejoice with his people. Rejoice in what? Well, rejoice in God. Trust in him. Believe in him. Don't fight against him and certainly don't attack his people. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and his people. Do you see that? God is doing that through these plagues. He's taking vengeance and defending his people. Our God is, in fact, a God of vengeance, and he will avenge himself for the sake of his people. Thirdly, it is judgment on Egypt's gods. Now, I'm not going to talk about this at length this time because it's uh, the, pretty much the focal point of my message, God willing, next week. We're going to go through a catalog of Egyptian gods and see how each plague is a specific judgment on an Egyptian deity. But uh, I'm going to quote a verse next week, and I'll quote it now, and it's in Numbers 33, verse 3 and 4. It says there, the Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. They marched out boldly in full view of all the Egyptians. Who was going to stop them at that point? They went out in daylight in full view of the Egyptians who were in the process of burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. That's a clear statement, isn't it? God had judged the gods of Egypt. We're going to talk more about that next week. Fourthly, the plagues were a demonstration that God is above all gods. Again, we're going to talk about this next week, but I think it bears its own statement. God rules above anything that can be called a god. He does things that only he can do. None of Egypt's gods could do these things. He is jealous, therefore, for the glory of his name. He reserves for himself certain privileges and prerogatives that belong to him alone. Fifthly, the plagues are a complete display of human responsibility. It's very interesting, isn't it? Moses keeps going back to Pharaoh and working with him. I mean, you really get the feeling that why is he even dealing with Pharaoh? Try once and forget it and just bring the people out, right? Oh no, he's going to persuade Pharaoh to see it his way. And he does, in the end. But all of those interactions with Pharaoh, and there's a certain way that God does it, we're going to talk about it in a moment, 
They show that Pharaoh is responsible for, the, for his nation. He's responsible for what goes on in his country. God is upholding his position of authority and responsibility. He's working with the man in power. He's persuading him with a mighty hand to see it his way, but he's working with him until Pharaoh at last gives the order. And then it's done, you see. And so he upholds human responsibility. Pharaoh is responsible. And he's being held responsible for what's happened to, his, to God's people, to the Israelites. So it upholds human responsibility. Every time that God, through Moses, commanded Pharaoh, let my people go, he's upholding human responsibility. Pharaoh was in power and God was compelling him to respond and deal with the situation. Also, just the fact that vengeance is coming very personally on Pharaoh, but also on the Egyptians as well, shows that we are responsible for how we treat God's people. We're held accountable for it. It's very important to God. That's the whole story of the sheep and the goats in which judgment is based on how you treat Christ's people. It's very important then, and we're held accountable for it. This is also, next, a solemn warning to all nations, isn't it? A solemn warning. Don't mess with my people. Don't oppose them. Don't persecute them. Don't fight against them. Genesis 12:3 in the original Abrahamic call, God says this, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did God mean what he said? Oh, he did. This is the fulfillment of those words. God doesn't throw words away. And when he says, I'm going to curse whoever curses you, he means it. This is the curse on, Egypt, on the Egyptians for cursing God's people. You all are studying, or many of you are studying Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, in which the people of God are called what? The apple of his eye. We talked about that in Sunday school today, Zechariah 2, 8. And whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Or some translations might say the pupil of my eye. The eye is very sensitive, and we do what we can to protect it. And so we could have somebody touching around here, but when somebody starts to jab, we react and when you touch God's people, he reacts. Now, he's patient. He's a patient God, and we're going to talk about the patience of God. He doesn't react immediately. Oh, but he reacts. This is God's reaction when you touch the apple of his eye. So it's a very serious warning, very serious. And ultimately, that warning will focus on one person, Christ. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. It all comes down to how you treat this one Jewish man, Jesus Christ. Salvation is from the Jews. And blessing is found through Christ and through Christ alone. Reject him and you will be rejected. Fight against him and his people and you will be, you will be crushed. But if you kiss the son, he will welcome you and you'll have salvation for your souls. When Jesus says, bow your neck to me and put your neck under my yoke, it's good advice. It's good advice. Let me be your king. Let me be your master, your Lord. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me be your king. It's good advice. Because look what happens to Egypt. Look what happens to those that fight against God and against his people. And then finally, it's also a testing toward Israel, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Now, what of the arrangement of the plagues? Do you see any kind of an arrangement in the plagues? Well, it's not necessarily easy to see. But I think first we can notice that the first nine plagues fit into three cycles of three each. There are three plagues, then three more plagues, then three more plagues with the tenth plague being intrinsically different than any of the others, standing out on its own. 
And what I want you to notice is that God gives a warning, a specific warning to Pharaoh before the first two plagues of the cycle every time, and no warning before the third. I think that's interesting. He gives him a warning before the first plague, the plague on the Nile and on the blood. Look at Exodus 7, 14 through 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Do you see what this is? This is a warning, isn't it? He knows where Pharaoh is going to be in the morning and he goes and stands there and waits as Pharaoh comes out perhaps to pour out a libation to the God of the Nile or something like that. And he gives him a warning. He says a plague is coming, a plague on the water. Now what is this? This is grace from God. You know, there's time now if you want to change your heart, if you want to let the people go, this might be a good moment. This would be a good moment because if you don't, we're going to be plaguing, there's going to be a plague on the river. Before the second plague, God also gives a warning. Look at chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with, with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and onto your people and on your people and into your ovens and your kneading troughs. I don't think that frogs are usually a good ingredient for bread. I've seen a number of ingredients for bread, and as far as I know that frogs, living frogs especially, is not one of the ingredients like frog quiche or something like that, or, you know, kind of put the, the, the pastry over and bake it a certain way. I'm not aware of any recipe like that. God gave, therefore, fair warning and very specific about what it was going to look like. It, nothing was really left to imagination. Those are the first two plagues. Now listen, after the second plague, God removed the frogs, died where they were, and the, they were stacked up in piles. And we'll talk about that in due time. But there they were. But there was relief, and Pharaoh refused to let the people go. Now look at Exodus 8, 15 through 18. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. Now, what do you notice is missing this time? There's no warning. It just happens. That's it. First two, there's a warning. Third one, no warning. It just happens. It just occurs. So that's the first cycle. Again, before the fourth plague, God warns Pharaoh, Exodus 8, 20 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. Now, here we're into the second cycle. In the first cycle of three plagues, no distinction is made between Israel and Egypt. Basically, everybody gets the same plague. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Both Jew and Gentile alike are all under sin. And so even Israel had to suffer the first three plagues. But not the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth. God made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. In the third cycle of plagues, he's going to make a distinction even within the Egyptians between those who believe the word spoken through Moses and those that don't. The plague of hail is given and the Egyptians that believed it got their livestock and anything valuable to them under shelter. But those who did not believe the word did nothing. And so there was a distinction made between believers and unbelievers even in Egypt. And so you see the nature of the cycle of the three plagues. But again, we have the same pattern. The first two plagues, namely plague four and plague five, are completely covered with a warning. But plague six, there is absolutely no warning, just suddenly comes. Again, in plague seven and plague eight, there is a warning. But plague nine, none at all. What does this tell you? First of all, it tells me that God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe even the warnings that he gave. And he doesn't have to apologize. Oh, that one slipped by. You know, I should have warned you about the gnats. I should have warned you that it was coming. Not at all. He doesn't owe them a warning. I think about us as a people. I think about our generation. Have we been warned? Oh, we've been warned. There's no other warnings needed. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will come suddenly, unannounced, while people are saying peace and safety. And suddenly it will come. And God doesn't owe us another warning either. And so we just need to take seriously the word of God and what he said and accept that he's given us as much warning as we're going to get because judgment comes suddenly without warning, unannounced, as it does in the cycle of plagues. Well, we're out of time. We're going to look more, God willing, next time at these. What lessons can we draw from this? First of all, the mighty power and outstretched arm of God is no longer working against you if you're a child of God. Somebody say, praise God. Amen. His power is now at work in and through you to bring you to heaven. Not to destroy you. What a fearsome thing it is. A terrifying thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a scary thing. But how great is it to have God's power at work in you? That he who began a good work in you has the power to bring it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What else does it say to us? Let's be faithful in warning those who have not yet come under the shelter of Christ. That God doesn't owe them any more warnings. That they need to come to faith in Christ before it's too late. Do you know somebody who's an unbeliever? Somebody you work with? Do you know a relative? Do you know somebody you could speak to this week and tell them the gospel, invite them to church, talk to them about spiritual things. Are you willing to do it as Moses and Aaron were willing to go confront Pharaoh? Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes 
and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.